great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Welcome into a Thursday night episode of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. I apologize that, A, this is so late on a Thursday. Um, We don't usually have our staple show on Thursday, but I teach on Thursday nights. And today was like a Wednesday for the Bills as they prepare for the Broncos. So we decided to do the show today, and there's a lot to talk about. And I was a little bit worried, Ryan, about doing this a little bit later on than usual. But then I looked at the Thursday night football game. Chicago Bears, Carolina Panthers. I said, we're set. This is much more interesting than that game probably going to be. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. I mean, that's a, a real dud for a Thursday night football game. Um, speaking of uh, a football game, uh, the Bills played in one last week, and I feel like this has been a very panic-filled, overreaction, um, reactionary I shouldn't say overreaction, a reactionary week. And to be honest with you, like I've kind of sat back for most of it and just kind of taken it in. We got a chance to talk to uh, Ken Dorsey, Sean McDermott uh, via Zoom on Monday, had a couple of days to let it all sink in. We're going to get into our thoughts on all of it, uh, but this is the top, uh, the Shout Podcast brought to you by Top Friendly Markets. If Are you ready for Slider Sunday? Maybe this week, Slider Monday? Now, it's still Slider Sunday. Every time you visit slidersunday.com, you have a chance to win free products, brand swag, tailgating gear, trips, and more. One chance per day, no purchase necessary. Head over to Tops in store, topsfriendlymarkets.com. Get all the details going on Sunday. Get stocked up for the big game Monday night. All right, Ryan, where we're going to start. The Bills held an offense only, players only meeting today. It's the second players-only meeting that Latavius Murray, the veteran running back for the Bills, held uh, this season. Uh, and I want to get into, first of all, the need for a players-only meeting, the need for two that we learned. And is this a version of the panic button inside the building in your eyes? Or is this something that you think, okay, maybe they they need this to maybe get to uh, where they want to go? I think it's a panic button. I mean, listen, if this was the first players only meeting, maybe maybe my opinion would be a little bit different. But since he said it's the second one, uh, that means that they've already tried to kind of talk about this, have some kind of meeting. And it really hasn't worked much in terms of the results on the field. They're at five and four now and they find themselves in a must win game on, on Monday night football in terms of staying in the playoff picture, or getting into the playoff picture. They're currently the number nine seed in the AFC. Uh, but staying relevant, I mean, I mean, you, you look at what's left on this schedule and there's some really tough games. They have to win the, the ones that are quote unquote winnable. And that hasn't happened a lot this season. They've dropped some games to the Jets, the Patriots, uh, games that they should have had, you know, and, and they just. Won't <laughs> those. So now that their backs are against the wall and I, I like what Murray's saying from a leadership perspective. But, yeah, to me, it's also the panic button. You know, I didn't get the sense, and this is, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think that's a perfectly acceptable take on this whole situation and the fact that maybe the player driven message is needed because the coach driven message hasn't really gotten through or isn't getting through. That, that That's a take on the situation that I think is perfectly plausible too. But to me, it felt that it was a really loose group today. And it's funny because so much has been made about a guy like Josh Norman, right? Getting brought back 35 years old. And man, do I feel like he's brought, he's brought ironically this youthful vibe back inside the building that I don't feel like was there at the beginning of, of the season. And, you know, we're wait, we're doing the press conference with Josh Allen and off to the side, you see Josh Norman with a group of cornerbacks. It was Christian Benford, Dane Jackson, and Rasul, Rasul Douglas. And they're playing this, uh, this game after practice where they all kind of like get in a huddle and they kind of do like a mini circle. And then one of the coaches kind of throws up a jump ball and they all have to go and try to get the ball. And it's just, it's a fun little like post-practice drill where they're lurk, working on their hands and all that kind of stuff. Some guys are off on the jugs machine, but you see the playful nature that Josh Norman has. And I feel like that 
things like that are important. Like the veteran guys that can help get this thing right um, are super important. And I didn't feel like even for Josh, who has had this like stressful few weeks, right? Like he's he's thrown interceptions in, in multiple games in a row now. The one last week was really poor. The offense has come under criticism. He mentioned in his press conference today that, you know, they're aware that Ken Dorsey has come under scrutiny. We're going to talk about Ken Dorsey in a little while. But I feel like Latavius Murray's message was to me the biggest takeaway in that he he basically said, we are the show. That's what Khalil Shakir referred to today when, when he was talking about the bulk of the message. And my takeaway from that is like, okay, they have to be the show, Ryan. This defense is absolutely ravaged with injuries. The identity of this team has to be Josh Allen. It has to be this offense. It has to be some type of swagger that on any given day against any given team, they can go out on the field and win because of who they are and who they have on that side of the ball. And to me, that felt like the message that Latavius Murray was trying to give. And we'll find out maybe as early as Monday night whether or not it was received. Yeah, and kudos to Latavius Murray for being the one to call this meeting. I mean, oldest running back in the league, uh, someone that has not been here the past few years where the Bills have been rolling offensively. But he knows what this offense can be, and he knows that the offense this year really needs to carry the defense because of these serious injuries that they've already sustained on the defensive side of the ball and you know, the, the little small dinged up injuries that this de- defense is dealing with right now, too, whether it's short term or uh, maybe a week to week type deal. The injury list is full of a lot of defensive players. Now the offense really needs to step up. Uh, I know Sean McDermott talks about that complimentary football, all three phases. But this is the time where Josh Allen has to put on the Superman cape and be Josh Allen. And this offense needs to be able to put up some points. Because, you know, looking at this defense, looking at the the players that could miss this Monday night matchup, the Broncos are going to score some points. The Bills need to score, obviously, some more. Um, If you want to score some points with me, you can hit that like button. Subscribe as well if you're watching on YouTube. We really appreciate all of your support. And I know there's been a lot of questions, Ryan. We've been getting a lot of questions in the insider chat. Uh, I've been getting DMs. I've even gotten an email or two about the next Wingnuts live event. When is the November Wingnuts event? Ryan, we don't have a a November Wingnuts event. We couldn't get one on the schedule that worked. Uh, The Bills kind of have a funky bit of a schedule, and the home weeks just just didn't work out uh, for both sides. So we're doing two shows in December, December 2nd, and then December 30th, I believe, if I'm correct on that Saturday. Um, So basically, beginning of the month, like maybe you're coming into town for Thanksgiving, if you're hanging around December 2nd, get that in your calendar. That is the next live event at Wingnuts. We love those events. Get a chance to meet up with fans, talk bills, all that sort of thing. And then at the end of the month, if you're coming back for the holidays, just extend your stay. Or if you're still going to be in town for that week after Christmas, we will be there at Wingnuts uh, on December 30th. The December 2nd show for sure back at Froth Brewing Company, the uh, uh, unofficial home of Wingnuts right now. But who knows? Maybe the 30th, the new location in Amherst will be open and we can't wait to maybe ring in the new year. Uh, knock on wood. I, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. We've been here before, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, New Year's Eve Eve. Join us at uh, Wingnuts, no matter what location it is. And then obviously December 2nd as well. Uh, looking forward to having two shows in December. Okay, so talking a little bit about the players only meeting, let's get into the players and where things stand with this injury report because it's an interesting one. I mean, to be honest with you, you think about what's happening on the front end, right? Like Daquan Jones out uh, for the foreseeable future, at least. Matt Milano on the second level out for the foreseeable future. Greg Rousseau, who Sean McDermott indicated is, yeah, it's looking better the last couple days, but he's been fighting through an injury. He has not looked like the same player uh, the last couple of weeks. The, the same kind of storyline that we had with Rousseau last season. Yeah. I think you can even put Ed Oliver into this as well. He said a little bit something like this after the game on Sunday about playing through uh, an injury. He has not been on the injury report. So you have that going on. You have Leonard Floyd who misses practice today with an illness. You have Terrell Bernard who is in a good situation because he practiced on a limited basis today. He was in the Rendon contact Jersey still in the concussion protocol. So he's progressing through things, but Ryan Christian Benford with the hamstring, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, both not practicing today. The banged up bills defense is, is, is getting even more banged up here. Yeah, it's unbelievable because you think of what this team, not just defense, looked like the first few years under Sean McDermott. 
one of the healthiest rosters in the league. Uh, and then the last two years, it's been the exact opposite. And this year, by far, is the worst. Losing uh, a key player at all three levels, uh, as we've mentioned. And now we're you're talking about all these guys that are on this injury report. You know, Christian Benford with a hamstring and the fact that Russell Douglas comes into the trade deadline. He's likely going to be starting. Dane Jackson possibly <laughs> in the depth behind them is uh, very thin, very scary with Kyrie Elam on the IR. Uh, it's going to be in, intriguing to see how they, they make that up if, in the event, Benford can't go. Uh, Terrell Bernard has been one of their defensive MVPs this year. You, you're hoping that, like you said, it's a good spot. He can clear by Monday night football. Uh, if not, that linebacker position could get attacked all over again, much like the Bengals seemed to do last weekend. And then up front, they're not generating the same type of pressure. And again, it's because a lot of the guys that uh, are there are not playing at 100%, and they're missing some of the key players that helped them out early on this season. Uh, Ken Dorsey has been in the crosshairs the last uh, couple of days. And I think we need a bit of a Ken Dorsey conversation at this point in the of the season, Ryan, and like, you know, where his approval rating is and, you know, whether or not that criticism has been fair, you know, over the last couple of weeks, like it started with Tim Graham a couple of weeks ago when he asked Sean McDermott, if there'd been any consideration to stripping Ken Dorsey of the play calling duties. And at the time that was met with some consternation, uh, by a portion of the fan base. And over time, as this kind of like lull in the offense or perceived lull, we'll get into that in a second, has has kind of played itself out into the Bengals game. I feel like within the fan base, the pressure on Dorsey has ratcheted up. And, it, you know, it led to multiple questions uh, of Sean McDermott this week. You know, where is the offense? How much confidence do you have in Ken Dorsey? You know, it led into our conversations with Ken on Monday in the Zoom. Uh, we'll talk about all of that. Where are you with Ken Dorsey? Because I want to bring in something that uh, from The Athletic, Mike Sando wrote yeah. today. Uh, but where are you right now uh, on Dorsey? Yeah, there's a level of frustration if I'm a Bills fan uh, in terms of where I would be at with Ken Dorsey. You know, from the media perspective, I think there's been some good things, and we're going to talk about them based on that Mike Sand, uh, Sandow article that came out today. But there's also things that are missing from this offense. The explosive plays, the plays that the Bills uh, really had a lot of or felt like they had a lot more of under Brian Dable. They're missing that element. The mm -hmm. Bills, it feels like, almost have to be perfect, Matt, on a drive to put up points because it's it's these smaller chunk plays uh, all the way down the field. And, yes, we've seen some 20-some yards, 30-some yards, but they're not hitting the deep shots, and some of it's the way the defenses are playing. Uh, but they're not also hitting those shorter passes that go for the big yards after the catch or uh, lining up the, the, the players in certain ways where they're, they're making these mismatches uh, appear pre-snap. I'm just not seeing enough of that from him. But obviously some of it falls on the execution of the offense as well, Josh Allen. Uh, there's a lot of blame that can go around. Um, for sure. And I'm going to read a portion of – uh, this Sando article. And then I, I have a, something I think I will pin on Dorsey and, and we'll get on that in a second, but I do think that he has been receiving a little bit too much hate. I do think it's like, it's worth questioning him. I mean, I had a couple very pointed questions for him uh, yeah. on Monday and you know, he, he answered a lot of questions throughout when, when the offense goes four possessions against the Bengals after that, that beautiful first drive, it warrants what's going on questions, right? Um, but anyway, this is from Sando. Let's get into this a little bit. Isolating Buffalo's three most recent losses, um, Buffalo's offense ranks among the best and its defense among the worst in combined production uh, for week five, lost to Jacksonville, week seven, lost to New England, and week nine, lost to Cincinnati when all other weeks of the season are excluded from the statistical query. The 32 NFL teams combined to play 41 games in those three weeks. The table uh, that he kind of had in the article, and you can go and check it out at The Athletic, using data from True Media shows where the Bills ranked in the league on offense and defense for those sky-is-falling weeks in Buffalo across 5, 7, and 9. EPA per play, they rank fifth out of 32 teams. The defensive rank, 27. Success rate, second in the NFL in those three losses, 30th in defense. EPA per pass play, they rank 12th in the NFL, not as great, 28 in defensive rank, 
points per game, 15, uh, 15th in the NFL, 27th in defensive rank. What do you think? Yeah, I think it goes back to complementary football. And I know fans hate hearing that saying, but you look at all the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. They're not able to get the takeaways. They're not able to get the opposing offenses off the field and those three and outs are quickly or as quickly as they have in the past. It's hurting this team in terms of field position as well. Uh, when I went back and watched that Bengals game, you couldn't help but notice that the Bengals were starting, it felt like, near midfield uh, for most of the game, whereas the Bills were generally backed up. If they got the stop, it was near midfield. Uh, or penalties drove the Bengals back, and they punted, and the Bills would end up being pinned inside the 5, inside the 10. Uh, so, again, it all goes hand-in-hand hand here, but some of the some of the blame that's going to Ken Dorsey in this offense, it falls upon the, the woes of this defense and the fact that they're not able to create stops the way that they were early on this season when everyone was healthy. Speaking of everybody being healthy on the offensive side, outside of Dawson Knox, everybody is healthy. And the one bright spot of the last three weeks is I feel like unlocking Dalton Kincaid is a huge piece of this. I think I saw this in a comment in the, in the chat and it's really important. I mean, he's got 40 catches, Ryan. He's already broken the Bills rookie uh, receiving uh, record uh, for a, a tight end that is a rookie, which is huge. And he's on pace now to absolutely shatter it. I mean, he's uh, he's probably going to become the all-time uh, tight ends leader in receptions by the end of the year if things progress this way. Now, the interesting thing is Dawson Knox might be back in a couple weeks. How does that impact in K? That's, that's something that's kind of lingering, but it's down the road, and I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But 23 of Kincaid's 40 catches have come in the last three weeks. And so I think that they're, they found something that works there. You know, having another reliable option in this offense, I think that Gabe Davis, to me, it's it's half and half. I think part of it is on him. I think there's some separation issues. I think that there's times when he's not open, and, and that's a problem. And, you know, Josh Allen mentioned it several times this year. They're not going to force the ball to a guy just to get the ball to the guy as part of like a predetermined game plan. He's he's trying to survey the, the field. He's in his sixth season. He's going to try to find the open guy. So I, I get that piece of it. Um, here's the thing that I really pin on Dorsey, and I don't understand it. You look at Deontay Hardy having three snaps in this last game. I get was the deep, deep shot was one of those, right? I'm, I have yeah. the correct game. I get that didn't work. But to me, that is just a piece of what I think you use Hardy for. Like, what is so wrong with taking Gabe Davis in a game like that where it's just not working, removing him from that role, and inserting Hardy into that role just to see what it looks like? They They said – that they were they, they were cross training him Trent Sherfield on all these different positions they can play multiple positions if something's not working to me that is the job of the offensive coordinator to pivot and to find an answer even if it's in game and i get part of the problem with that is Gabe Davis is a captain right like you're not going to you're going to struggle to take him off the field but that is a game you got to try to win it was a winnable game like to get to go start that game give up 14 points in the first two possessions. And then for the next three quarters to only give up 10 points, hmm. the defense is struggling. Don't get me wrong. I agree with Sando's presence pre premise, but at the same time in that game, in that situation, you tell me that over the next 45 minutes, they hold him to 10 points. The bills offense doesn't do enough to at least get back in that game. And it never really, really truly felt like they were. No, it doesn't, and, and that's probably part of the problem with this team is they brought in all these new faces and new weapons. Uh, Deontay. Did we lose him? You still got me? I think we lost Ryan. I'm going to have to talk to my producer here. Ryan is frozen. All right. We have to remove Ryan for a second. And actually, this is a perfect time, Kayla. We're going to bring in our producer who had a segment on this show anyway coming up planned. So, Kayla, uh, introduction to Kayla. Uh, she is um, our podcast producer uh, for the fall for this uh, part of the Bill season. And she's producing the, the, the show in a, a wonderful way. Um, and I wanted to bring you into the show today to, to introduce you to our audience and to talk a little bills with you. How are you, Kayla? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? 
I am wonderful. Um, so obviously we're talking about Ken Dorsey, and this is something that we had texted about earlier today. How big of a problem is Ken Dorsey from your vantage point in terms of how this Bills offense is operating? Honestly, I think I can see the frustrations. I can see why everybody wants to see more out of the Bills with all the talent they have. But I still don't think Ken Dorsey deserves all of the hate he gets, especially when you see in his first 25 games with the team compared to uh, Brian Dable's last 25 games with the team, the Bills are performing better, actually, in quite a few categories. They're second in EPA per play, first in success rate, first in red zone EPA per play, second in red zone success rate, and second in offensive points per game. So they're still putting up numbers of just obviously not scoring when we need them to. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that's a great point. And it's it's so interesting that you bring up uh, the red zone numbers, because I think that's something that has kind of been glossed over a little bit in, in, in like kind of covering the up and down nature of this offense. PFF just put out a tweet today of Josh Allen in the red zone this season. And that's an area where he struggled last season. I don't have the interception numbers, but his his red zone performance last season was uh, I think the worst of his career this season, 91 point, uh, 91.1 PFF grade in the red zone, 14 touchdowns in the red zone, no interceptions and six rushing touchdowns. There is not Josh Allen is back to being that unbelievable red zone threat. And I feel like that's something that I think Ken Dorsey deserves some credit. It's something that not only did Josh Allen take a step back last year in that Ken Dorsey has been a big reason why he's maybe bounced back in 2023 yeah absolutely I I think so I think it's definitely played a role but I also think that hear me out it might work out better for the Bills if they bring Dorsey on the sidelines Mm, which is funny because I asked him about this and it has not been discussed to this point which to me I think it's a mistake, first of all, to not like, and I know they go through their process every week and they talk about uh, whether or not, you know, they should make changes. I mean, Sean McDermott was even talking about potentially making changes, um, asked about whether or not he's handling too much. And he said, it's part of their process every week. They, they talk about how things are working. Um, I don't know though. So you're saying that you think that he should, should consider a move. Why don't you explain that? Yeah, so I think when we're in what about to be week 11 and you still are struggling to find your offensive rhythm and an identity for it, I think what is the harm in trying it? Like, honestly, I think a lot of times the Bills often seems to really need a spark. And previously, I think it was back in May, players said that Dorsey's very animated on the sidelines and everything. I think they could use some of that right now, in all honesty. Some of that get-in-your-face mentality after a mistake and just being all on the same page before you go out and start the drive. Did uh, did uh, Matt, a certain Matt Canada have anything to do with this take? Well, yeah, you know I'm a Pittsburgh girly, so <laughs> it absolutely did, especially because, like, Kenny Pickett, Deontay Johnson, Jalen Warren – they all said they thought it was easier to <laughs> and that they had like a better understanding of what needed to happen before they even got on the field. Mm-hmm. And then the Steelers also had season highs um, in rushing yards, first downs, third down conversion rate and EPA per play. So what is the harm in trying it at this point? Dude, Kayla is bringing the stats on this episode. <laughs> you are becoming a more informed Bills fan right now, everybody. So <laughs> I want to ask you, Ryan, about this because it's very interesting. I, I do think like if you're looking for a spark and a five and 14 probably is, I do like the idea of maybe toying around with things. My perspective on him going to the sideline though, and why I'm, I'm probably more in the against it category. He is so animated and he does get so dialed up. I'm wondering if it would be more difficult being in the thick of it, the emotional way that sometimes those conversations are happening on the sideline. Maybe he's been a part of those as the quarterback's coach all those years with Josh, seeing Stefan Diggs down on the sideline. And as the, um, you know, the guy that's orchestrating all this, maybe removing yourself from that and operating in a different headspace is critical to his ability to, to call the game. 
It might be, but to, to Kayla's point, we're not going to know until he tries, until he is on the sidelines, until he can be there with Josh Allen between drives, going over things on the tablet. Uh, and that's one of the things that I think fans really like the most about Brian Dable when he was here is he would, you know, he would chew out Josh Allen at times. Uh, if Allen made a bad play, a bad read, a bad throw, whatever it was, he wasn't afraid to do that. And Allen seemed to respond well to that. He was able to kind of uh, talk to all the players and, and get them on the same page too when he was down there. So at this point with, you know, the Bills at five and four, I don't see the harm in trying it. I know Steve Wilkes is trying it this week. Uh, it, it, the defense coordinator in uh, San Francisco, I know like Matt Canada was just mentioned. At some point, it doesn't hurt to try this. And, and the Bills are running out of weeks here to figure things out, so to speak. And I think this game is as good as any to get Dorsey on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think... <laughs> The problem with the Bills, though, is like I feel like everything has to be super rehearsed. So, like, while he is technically on the sideline in practice, it'd probably be something that they they didn't even really tinker with at any point, right? Like, do you remember a game even in the preseason last year where Dorsey was actually on the sideline? And I feel like they've never even really done it. No, yeah, nothing pops into my mind with him on the sidelines and going back to even last year. Uh, training camp, he kind of said he still wasn't 100% sure yet, but the first preseason game, he was up in the booth, and uh, I don't think it's ever changed off of that. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I think Ken Dorsey – I want to get back to the conversation about Dorsey in general because you you were going on something, and I don't know. You just decided to take a quick coffee break. I, I don't know what was going on there. Only in internet. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. So what were you saying when you got so rudely interrupted? You know, I don't even remember what tangent I was on at that point. Uh, we're on a tangent. I was. So I, I, I. So well, let me bring it back then, and and I'll have you pivot off of this. And Kayla, if you have any thoughts, please please share them. I mentioned the Deontay Hardy point mm-hmm. and his just yes. the failure of the offense, offensive coaching staff to find a way to utilize him, Trent Sherfield. What's going on with Reggie Gilliam? So if you look at his season, it is super weird. You know, the the usage for him in the offense has completely fallen off a cliff. And he wasn't really being utilized a ton early in the season. I mean, the most this season was 17% of snaps in the Dolphins game. Since then, 7, 5, 4, 2, 0 in the Cincinnati game. And I only bring this up because Ken Dorsey, the one buzzword that he used so much on Monday was balance, Right. How can you have balance in your running game if you're not going to utilize your blocking fullback who, listen, I'm sure that there's some people that think that you you could probably do better in that department. I'm not sure. I'm not really studied up enough on, on Gilliam as a run blocker. I'd have to bring up his PFF stats. But I just think that that, look, when's the last time, and they might have utilized it in the Bucks game, I'd have to go back and watch it. That you just saw a traditional eye formation. We're going to line up in a run set. We are going to run the ball at you. And we're going to trust the guys up front to open up holes and then the fullback to open up an additional hole. It's like, I almost feel like they, that's not even that physical part of the run game isn't even an option for them. And that's a problem. That's a big time problem. And without uh, Reggie Gilliam last week, uh, you, you kind of got to see that there weren't many running lanes to go through for these backs. The blocking up front struggled. Gilliam going into this year, his involvement in the offense had gone up every season that he had been in Buffalo. This is definitely uh, a year where that has not been the case, though. His his usage has been sporadic. His usage has been inconsistent. Uh, But that goes back to what we were talking about, Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield and these guys that they brought in uh, to that were supposedly going to (laughs) help this offense out. And, you know, Hardy gets in and they take the deep shot to him. That was more of a mistake on Josh Allen's part. You should have led him toward the middle of the field more uh, because he had the the leverage there on the inside. They go deep and there's not much separation there, but get him more involved. We've seen him take the short passes and move the chains. Uh, You could use him on those end arounds. Let him utilize that speed a little bit. He's not getting the amount of usage that he needs on a game-to-game basis, especially based on what you paid him this offseason in free agency. His run block grade on PFF, 70.9. That is the uh, fourth best on the team. David Edwards, obviously, uh, really high 
great, which you would expect. They use him in those big jumbo uh, formations. Uh, Ryan Bates, number two, at 77.2. Quentin Morris, 72.8, used in kind of a sporadic. Uh, And then it's Reggie Gilliam. Ryan, who do you think is the number one graded run blocker on the Bills' offensive line through nine games? Oh, on the offensive line. Um, You know, early on I would have said Torrance, but I feel like he's kind of hit that rookie wall. Uh, Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown is right. 70.8. Dawkins, 68.5. Those are the only two offensive linemen that are in the green when it comes to, you know, plus grade as a blocker, according to PFF. Torrance is at 61.1. So to your point, probably dipping down a little bit, falling back a little bit. Then you have to go all the way down the list. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Mitch Morse is right on the cutoff line, 65.1 between green and yellow. Connor McGovern, 49.2. And we know, listen, this is not a surprise. Connor McGovern coming into this season, we talked about like the, the stark difference between him as a pass blocker and a run blocker. And that is true. Um, it's it's played out that way this season. Yeah, absolutely has played out that way. And this is still the best line that I would say that Josh Allen's ever had in his career. Uh, but in terms of run blocking, there, there is some inconsistencies there. There have been some problems as of late. Uh, the right side of the line, though, has been the better side in terms of running. It's just the Bills, though, haven't run running the ball enough to my uh, liking. And sometimes I think that's because they get into a hole offensively. They, they find themselves down a little bit and they try to lean on the pass game too much. But they do need to try to find a little bit more of a balance going forward. All right. Speaking of finding a balance, the best way to do that is to become a Shout Buffalo Bills insider. I know everybody gets their news on Twitter and on websites and all this kind of stuff. But listen, if you want to go a little bit beyond that, become a Shout Buffalo Bills insider. Get it Get it for two weeks for free, uh, then $3.99 a month after that. Uh, the Shout text line is brought to you by Carrie C. Buyer, attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Letro, located at 237 Main Street, Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, give him a call at 716-852-1234 or check out LeetroLaw.com. And I didn't get the phone number yet, and we're going to put the phone number up in the chat here on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, For those listening, you should know the number by now. We've been doing this for weeks and months. 716-528-6727. Send that uh, number a text. You become an insider, and we put out uh, the bat signal. Uh, before this game or before this uh, episode of the podcast and asked, what do you want us to talk about on this show? And we got some questions back, Ryan. So we're going to pivot into the second half of this show and talk about uh, what our insiders uh, are talking about. And we'll start with Scott, Scott today. Do you think there's a chance Josh um, or, or sorry, I messed this up. Look at me. First question what am I doing here? All right. It's, it's from uh, Dave Radsky. Excuse me. Is there a way for uh, Dalton Kincaid to keep the number one tight end spot when Dalton, uh, when Dawson Knox comes back or will McDermott do what he always does and make the rookie step back uh, for the veteran until he earns his stripes, right? Why don't you start this one off? Yeah, I, I think it'd be foolish if, if uh, Sean McDermott were to do that going forward. Dawson Knox was the number one tight end for a good portion of the season and whether, you know, whether he was dealing with that wrist injury for a few weeks or not, he was not doing much offensively for this team early on in the year. He's a good blocker. We know that, but look at the involvement in this offense that Dalton Kincaid has had the last three games. Look at how much better uh, they've looked at times with him out on the field, how they've been able to move the ball. This is what they envisioned when they drafted Kincaid in the first round. Uh, and there's no doubt in my mind that Kincaid needs to remain as that tight end number one going forward, even when Knox comes back. You, you know, you, you knock down, hit Knox's reps a little bit. You, you, I don't think you lean back into the 12 personnel. You can use the package at times, keep the percentage maybe in the 20s to 30s uh, in, in terms of those personnel packages. But no, you, you don't go back to the veteran just because he is the veteran. Uh, you, you go with the guy that's been productive at tight end, and that has, without a doubt, been Dalton Kincaid. Yeah, I, I don't have much too much to add there. I agree with all of the points uh, that you just said. If anything, I would I would use it as a way to become more, like as Sean McDermott always says, multiple in what you do. Like you don't have to lean back into the twelve personnel look, but it could be part of your arsenal at, that you're attacking teams with. Maybe figuring out like part of what to me what 
the Bills are lacking at times offensively is like when in games to use and deploy certain parts of their scheme. So like instead of leaning heavily into 12 personnel and almost becoming that being your identity, find out where to use it, where you really put the defense in a stressful spot. Like, okay, on this series, like we're going to interchange Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid in 11 because that's going to keep them both fresh and we can do different things depending on which player is on the field. Um, so I think that there's opportunities to not necessarily go back to 12 heavy, but like inter, inter mingle those two concepts within a, an aggressive, specific stylistic approach to game planning, but we'll see how they do it. All right. Scott today asked, do you think there's a chance that Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey uh, both dislike Sean McDermott feeling that might be the case based on Josh's comments about Ken and the post uh, giants game interactions. Listen, I think that that's a lot to deduce from, yeah. from commentary like that. Um, is there a frustration within the, the trio at times? Probably like you have like a head coach who's very, like his message is clear. He has an involvement in the offense and the way that they do things. And that's going to be the case as long as he's the head coach. And sometimes maybe what they want to do and what he wants to do, maybe they, they aren't always in concert, but I will say that it was interesting when I asked Sean this week about the complimentary football and the, the, I get the concept, but like striving for it, knowing what's going on the defensive side of the ball, could that effectively lessen the aggressiveness of the offense. And he pushed back immediately. was like, no, there's, there's no breaks on the offense. Every time they're out there, we want them to score any way that they can type of thing. So I I don't think that that's the case. My read on all that is just a general frustration that a they're five and four and B this offense. It just seems there's so much stop and go. Yeah. I don't think it's anything specific with McDermott. Frustrations happen. Uh, in, in the NFL, you know, we, we talked a lot about the handshake with Dable and McDermott years from now, they'll look back and look at the success they had together. And, uh, but coming to, you know, Sean McDermott now and Ken Dorsey, they might have some internal arguments in terms of what things should look like, but that's healthy with any kind of coaching staff, any kind of relationship, uh, with players and coaches as well. So I think it is just a general frustration. Like you said, Matt. Uh, the players know that they could execute a lot better at times. Ken Dorsey knows that there are plays that he, you know, he should probably be not be calling at certain times. There are things that he's missed in in terms of, oh, I really should have called this in this scenario uh, because he is still a, a young offensive coordinator. So, yeah, just general frustration all around. All right. Got a couple more here. Do you think this comes from the ultimate warrior, which by the way, I didn't know you could kind of like make your own screen name in the insider group, but apparently that you can. So that's fun. Like get creative. The ultimate warrior asks, do you think that Brandon Bean will sign another linebacker or cornerback with the injuries piling up even more on defense? I don't know, Ryan, like to this point, the bills approach at linebacker has been so internally driven. Hmm. I don't know who they could add at this point outside of like, you know, maybe asking Christian Kirksey to come back who had spent a couple weeks in their system already that they'd be comfortable signing. And I'm almost wondering how much the Christian Kirksey situation might have soured them on an external addition at linebacker. And there's still, you know, a couple guys that, you know, AJ Klein was on the injury report this week, you know, Tyler Medikavich, he hasn't played a lot of meaningful snaps at linebacker for them, but he's in the mix as well. I still think that they have some guys that they can go to, but it's, it's interesting going back and watching the, the game. Tyrell Dotson was not as bad as I felt watching it live. He graded out really well. And he made a couple of really important plays in that game after a couple of tough plays early in the game, but Sean McDermott was glowing about him today. And I, I don't see, even if Bernard can play, I don't see like Dorian Williams anytime soon, like overtaking that job from Dotson. I think it's his. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think that way as well. And I, you know, when you watch Dotson, I think there was that one play that really stood out to you in terms of the negative, and it was filling the, the gap on the run, uh, running, rushing touchdown by Joe Mixon. Uh, he just didn't get there in time. It was an easy touchdown. It was something he should have known that, hey, that's my responsibility. But he did make some good plays in the second half, and he did 
uh, work with Dorian Williams to get a turnover on down, stopping one of the tight ends short of the markers later in the game. His confidence grew as he played. Uh, in terms of outside linebackers, I just don't know who they would bring in right now that could, would be able to pick up the uh, defense in a, in a timely manner. I, I think that they know they still have A.J. Klein. They still have Valen Specter, who are on, you know, Specter uh, still kind of hampered a little bit with an injury. Klein is definitely older, but I think staying internally at linebacker is probably their plan. Got a couple here from Brian, uh, Brian Domster. Von Miller, uh, realistic expectations of returning to his form of last year, and if plausible, when will it happen? You know, it's interesting, Ryan, today hearing Von Miller talk about the, the journey back here. Uh, it's progressing. He feels better every game. He feels better every snap. This was the last, this last game was the first game. He went through his entire game and didn't think about the knee injury once, which I think that's a big hurdle. Like if you've been the first couple of weeks and you've been thinking about that constantly, like getting back to a place where you could play freely and not have to worry about that every single play. And maybe you're moving differently, adjusting to playing with that brace, all big things. But he also did mention that this feels different than the one that he had 10 years ago. And obviously he's much older. Um, I don't know if it's 10 years ago. Uh, the, the first uh, ACL, I think it was, was it 2013? So yeah, I guess it was it would 10 be years around ago. 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's significant. I mean, that to me is, all right, this is a little bit different than the first one. And it kind of walks back some of what he talked about. Like I've done this before. I'll be the same guy before. Like, I do think there's a legitimate worry that he doesn't get to the level that the, the Von Miller that we saw through nine games last year. I, and that's a legitimate concern based on his age, based on uh, how long it takes players to come back from these lower body injuries a lot of the time. And while he was able to come back sooner than I think some expected, we have not seen the same explosiveness uh, from Von Miller. But I'll also say that if there's ever a time for him to maybe uh, get right. It might be in this Monday night matchup where, you know, Russell Wilson will hold the ball a little bit too long at times that might give Miller some opportunities. He's had uh, a few instances where he's gotten pretty close. Uh, There's a good stat about how much uh, of a, you know, pressure he was, a, he's actually applying when he's on the field higher than what some Bills fans might expect. And I don't have it in front of me right now. I wish I did. I'll have to see if I can find that. But he, you know, he's just he hasn't sacked the quarterback yet, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't he hasn't been affecting the quarterback either. What do you think, Kayla? Yeah, I think he's gonna continue to progress. I think I mean Monday night would be a great time to get his first sack, especially against a former team. But I don't think he will get back to his pre-injury form, in all honesty. I think his Super Bowl run was probably about the best he was going to get since the injury and his age. There's just a lot of factors that make it really difficult to bounce back in a league that's as competitive as it is. No, I think that that's a fair take. And I mean, if you look at his production, it's so weird looking at the PFF chart, like for the season for the Bills defense and having to scan all the way down to 24th out of 25 defensive players in terms of pass rush grade. I mean, in 81 pass rush snaps, Von Miller has only four pressures, one hit, and three hurries. I mean, that is just such a drop-off from the force that he's been in his career. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, like, what they're paying him to be. Like, that's another part of this. Like, you look at some of the cap dollars that the Bills have invested in Von Miller, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones to a lesser degree, Tredavious White. And I mean, like, it's wild to think about. Now, I will say he had um, 20 snaps in his first game, 27, no, no pressures, 27 in his next game, uh, six, that was the one-off against New England, then it was 26 and 24. His pass rush grade in those two day, two games were in the 50s, so not as good as the, the, the Giants game was his best game uh, by far this season, according to pro football focus. Um, but Ryan, if he doesn't get back to Vaughn circa 2022, does that put you in a spot that limits what you, I mean, the better way to ask this, if, the, if you think the bills can make a super bowl run and that's its own question, is it critical to get Von Miller back as a premier part of this pass rush unit for that to happen? 
No, uh, because you do have Leonard Floyd, who you sign in free agency, who can kind of have that veteran presence, veteran role. We've seen what he looked like early on this season in terms of getting after the quarterback. If you can get Greg Rousseau right, uh, if A.J. Epinesa continues to play at a high level, he's having the best season of his career, then no, you don't need Von Miller to be the Von Miller of circa 2022 because you know the, the big reason they brought him in last year when they did is they weren't getting the contributions from A.J. Epinesa, and at that time, Boogie Bashman, Rousseau was still a young guy. He was supposed to kind of be their closer, that guy that got him over the gap. Well, they do have that in Floyd now. They've seen growth from Rousseau. They've seen growth from Epinesa. So he's it's not as vital to the success of the team. But, of course, if you can get him anywhere close to that, it would only help this team out. Any final thoughts, Kayla? Um, I do – want to bring up uh, Walter's comment over here. He says the fact that he's even back so early is insane and we're writing him off. I think that is actually a good, good thing to keep in mind that he is actually old. He did come back relatively soon from this. So yeah, maybe we should give Vaughn a little more time, but it's hard when, when we need something going right now. No, I think that that's fair. And I think that, um, I, I think we've been pretty, um, we've talked about this quite a bit, Ryan. Like I don't have the expectation that Vaughn was going to be Vaughn even by this time, even had they started him up at the beginning of the season, like th- the real bummer for Vaughn and the bills was that this injury didn't happen say in September of last year. Right. Cause that would have expedited his timeline and, and given him a full training camp, which listen, I don't think that that's just lip service. I think that that's really important. I think, and I also don't agree with this. Like James is saying this in the YouTube or in the, in the YouTube chat. And I don't, not to call James out here, but I've seen this multiple times. I don't think it was necessarily a bad signing. You can't predict like a, a, an ACL injury. Like uh, it could happen to a 34 year old. It could happen to a 20, five-year-old. It could happen to a 22-year-old. It could happen to a person in college. Like, you know, ACL tears happen all the time. And I just think that um, Vaughn's value to this team, even if he doesn't get back to Vaughn, pass rushing nightmare uh, Vaughn, is still valuable because of the experience, what he means in the room, his positive mindset, how much like these guys kind of feed off of that. Um, So there's it's a nuanced conversation. It's not just black and white. No, absolutely, and he helps in the locker room. He helps in terms of getting these younger guys uh, advice, and and he hasn't even been out you know, a calendar year. It was Thanksgiving last year that he suffered the injury, so it was a very accelerated process to get him back out on the field compared to what we've seen from some other players, both Bills and just elsewhere in the league in general. All right, one more question here. Our good buddy Kenneth Branch over on the uh, Shout Insider text line. If I hear learn from it day to day in complimentary football, one more time, I'm going to puke. Please don't tell us we're a good team. The numbers prove it. I go by three things, eyes, wins, and losses. And, you know, I think a lot of this comes from the conversation. And I love Kenneth. He's got a lot of energy in the, in, in the insider chat. Um, comes from this conversation that's happened this week about like analytics versus like what you're watching, because, you know, we mentioned it that at the top of the show with uh, the article uh, that Mike Sando wrote, like you look at some of the advanced metrics, Kayla brought up some of them as well. The bills have looked really good in times, right? Like uh, offensively from a, or, or have the, the numbers have looked good, but the eye test has been different. And like, it just feels like if you go uh, 30 minutes in a football game and you struggle to operate what you do, it just doesn't feel like this, this, this offense seems too talented for that to be the case. And I think going back to the beginning of the show, talking about the players only meeting, I think that the bills offense is admitting so much. They're saying there's too much talent. Like Khalil Shakir looks around the locker room and you know, they're looking, he looks to his right and there's Stefan Diggs. And he looks to his left and he sees Gabe Davis, whatever your thoughts are on Gabe Davis. That's beside the point. There is too much talent for this team to struggle as badly as it has for extended periods of time. Yeah, and, and it's a lot of the times cases of shooting themselves in the foot with penalties, uh, with a poor play call or execution at times that puts them in first and 10 to second and long and then puts them in a tough spot in third down. 
It's little things that can be fixed, that can be cleaned up. They need to find a way to get those explosives back into this offense at times. Uh, I think letting Josh Allen play a little bit more freely, as we've seen as of late, is going to help in that regard, too. Because when he's scrambling, when he's creating with his legs, it allows uh, players to improvise downfield and, and get open and create the big plays in that regard. This team is not built to just kind of dink and dunk down the field for better or worse. They need to add some of those big plays in. Once they do that, that's going to flip the field position game. That's going to help this defense out. And then we do go back to that term that he hates, complimentary football. All right. I'm going to flip this uh, show on its head a little bit. I'm going to put Kayla on the spot. I'm going to give you, Kayla, in your shout debut, the final word. What do you got? Oh, man. <laughs> I put her um, right on the spot. <laughs> Should, wait, like you just want me to end it? Yeah, final word. You get, to, you, get to, you get to take us out. What's your overarching right. take? Overarching take. All right. I think that it was very beneficial then for the Bills to call a players meeting today. Um, I agree with the, what was said at the beginning of the show. It definitely does seem like they're pulling the panic button. But I'd rather them panic right now in week nine when they have a chance to turn things around than wait till week 13, week 14. And it's like, well, what are you going to do now? Well, I thought it was interesting, too, to your point that Josh Allen, you know, mentioned today this team. There's a lot of like holdovers, guys that have been in the, with this team for a while that have been through those lulls, right. That have been through those disappointments. And, you know, I always have said it, like you got to go through turmoil to get over the hump in this league. Like the, the Kansas city chiefs even had it. Like you remember people forget that part of the dynasty when they got beat uh, in the AFC title game by the Patriots and had to come back the next year. And it took them quicker than I, I, than I think it's taken this bills team, but there's still that potential out there. Despite the defense being as banged up as it can, you know, we'll learn a lot about this team on Monday night and, this is a tough Broncos team coming off the biggest win of their season. Uh, we're going to get into that on the preview. And, you know, they have new life in their season. They just beat the Chiefs, and they've had 15 days to prepare for the Bills. So, you know, if the Bills have a really good performance at home, I mean, that could reset things, put them at 6-4. and four. This AFC is going to beat each other up. I mean, you're probably getting into the playoffs with 10 wins. So then you got to just map out four for the rest of the way. We'll see if they can get there. We're brought to you by Tops Friendly Market. Start your slider Sunday winning streak. With Kings Hawaiian this football season, earn rewards to redeem for free product, brand swag, tailgating gear, and more. Visit slidersunday.com for details, and then visit the Tops Deli section. Look for the bright orange Kings Hawaiian displays, scan the QR for a chance to instantly win, and visit topsmarkets.com slash slidersunday for the best slider recipes. All right, Ryan, we're going to slide right out of here. You got anything left? I can't wait for the preview show. Uh, Broncos looking pretty healthy coming to this game, coming off their bye. It'll be interesting to see what Buffalo's final injury report looks like later this week. Uh, it's going to be a tough matchup, like you said. Thank you, Kayla, for making your debut. We'll hear uh, more you. from you in the weeks to come. For Kayla, for Ryan, I'm Matt. We'll see you on Saturday. Take care, everybody.